Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, I'd also like to say how much I appreciated uh, the way Pastor Cox uh, taught the lessons so far in life enrichment. Uh, There's something special about being able to just open up the Word of God and unfold that for for everyone and help everybody to understand. Um, You know, and there's lessons there that will impact us for the rest of our lives. Think about that. Isn't that true? I mean, um, if we can grasp those things, that's going to change us for many years to come and, and real, be a real blessing to us. So thank you, Pastor Cox. I appreciate that so much and the great work that you did there. You know, uh, it, it, there's, there's kind of a couple of different ways that we can do this as far as money, right, in, in, in our finances. We can follow God's plan or we can do it our own way or a different way, right? And, and uh, you know, if we follow God's plan, um, he's, he's going to take care of us. He's going to make sure our needs are met. If we uh, do it our own way, you know, you're, <laughs> you're kind of on your own. I mean, Pastor Cox talked a lot about that. I mean, we're, 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 uh, we're, we're out there on a limb ready to fall off somewhere. And uh, become, uh, uh, it, it, we can have some very serious things uh, not working our way. And, and if money becomes our God, whoa, now that's really bad. Now, you think about America right now, you know, where we're at with how many people where money is their God. I'm going to talk a little bit about that uh, coming up. But if we boil it all down, uh, the fact of the matter is, is we're stewards, we're really just stewards. That's all we are. And, and I say just stewards meaningfully. Uh, I mean what I say in that we can relax in the fact that, you know, I don't have to own all these things that I have. I don't have to have ownership of that. It's really God's. It's God's car. It's God's home. It's God's income, God's job that he's provided for me, all those things. So I can really take, you know, uh, comfort in that, that he has worked out all these details for me. And uh, so I support that 100%. I I think that, that, again, Pastor Cox did a great job. And following the word of God, you just can't go wrong, including in our finances. But let's look through um, those set of glasses that we are stewards in everything that we do uh, when it comes to finances. And that's going to change our perspective a little bit. So why are we talking about money so much? (laughs) Uh, look, in America, there's so much money. There's money everywhere. I mean, look at how much the U.S. government has. Look at how fast they're giving it away right now, right? I mean, my goodness, you know. Um, look at, or here's one for you. Um, in 2019, you think, uh, you know, how does, the, how does the U.S. government get their money, right? Uh, income tax started during the Civil War, so I also like history, so I happen to know that. But um, we didn't even have income tax before the Civil War. So the federal government didn't have a lot to do with money. Well, they sure do today, right? So, so in 2019, the U.S. government took in uh, $3.5 trillion in tax revenue. 
How much was the stimulus plan? $1.9 trillion. So what does that tell you about the way the U.S. government spends money? That is not a good example, <laughs> okay? That is not a good example. So, uh, you know, we just gave away over half of that in just a short period of time. So that's deficit spending on a very large scale. Uh, let's bring this down to a more personal level, okay? Uh, when you think about money and how much it matters to us, and how important for, it is for us to function with money in such a way that our needs are met on a day-to-day -day basis, what, you know, what does that mean to us? Um, can you think of any other earthly thing, earthly thing that has more profound impact on us than money? You know, I'm not talking about people here. I'm, just, I'm talking about things. You know, money has a tremendous impact. There's a myriad of emotions that play in when it comes to money. Uh, think about, you know, getting a bonus or a stimulus check or, or something like that. And you think of elation, you know, oh, dear, it's time to go shopping. You know, it's time to get out and we're going to buy that boat or we're going to do this or we're going to do that. And, you know, just elation. And then we can go all the way to, oh, man, I can't pay the rent or the mortgage, um, the car payments due, and we haven't bought groceries, and the bank account is empty. Ouch. So now you go all the way from elation to despair, and that's all having to do with money. So every day we have something to do with handling money, every single day. You know, you're racking up bills right now as you're sitting here. Basically, if, if you're a homeowner or whatever, you're, you're racking up bills. So it's very important for us to learn at a very young age, you know, as teenagers on up, it's very important for us to learn how to handle money properly. And, you know, so why are we talking about money so much? Pastor Cox already mentioned, does it matter to God? Yeah. Absolutely. That's why we got over 2,300 scriptures having to do with money. He wants us to learn about what he has to say about money. Uh, does it matter to your family? Hmm, you better believe it. You want clothes, you want food, you know, want to be able to get around, get to the sporting events, do, do all this kind of stuff. Um, it's important to the family. Uh, how about this one? Does it matter to the world? How important is money to the world? Huh. How, you ever heard of advertising? I mean, everything you do, money being spent on advertising to grab you in and pull you in. Come on, Brother Crane, you got to buy this thing. Come on, sister, you, you need to buy this thing, you know? So, so they're, they're spending billions of dollars on, on advertising every single year. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. I grabbed a few, I just, I love... Zig Ziglar's quotes on money. So I grabbed a few of these that I, are my favorites. Um, you see, money won't make you happy, but everybody wants to find it out for themselves. Right? Isn't that true? Money will buy you a bed, but not a good night's sleep. It'll buy you a house, but not a home. It'll buy you a companion, but not a friend. People don't often buy things for logical reasons. They buy them for emotional reasons. Emotions, like I mentioned, uh, are very much tied to money. And my all-time favorite, money isn't the most important thing to life, but it's reasonably close to oxygen on the gotta-have-it scale. So <laughs> isn't that the truth? 
Did you know, um, you know, we're going to go on to something that King Solomon said, right, in Ecclesiastes. But did you know money can affect your sleep? Now, he mentions on one end of the scale here, but, but there's another end. Uh, you know, if, if you're so poor that you can't provide for your family, do you think that'd be something that would keep you from sleep? I think so, right? And then what does Ecclesiastes 5.12 say? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much. I thought that was kind of neat that he put that in there. doesn't matter how much you eat. You can, you can, uh, you're going to sleep well if you're a laborer, okay? Um, that, that, that's a cool thing. But the last part, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. So the Bible talks about don't labor to become rich. That's not the aim here. We're not talking about just becoming rich so we can have lots of things because lots of things are going to rob you of sleep because you're going to be so blasted worried about every little thing that you've got out in the garage or, you know, my yacht and this and that. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy. But, and I know, I know that there aren't people here that that's a problem with, right? I just want to point it out. That's not why we labor. That's not why we go to work. That's not why we do those things. We, we do those things to provide for our family and to be good stewards. That, that, that's why we do these things. So tonight my goal is to bring up your success level in handling money. That's, that's, I, I want you to feel successful in handling money. Now, what does that mean? Would it mean something different for this family than that family, than this family? Absolutely. Your success you know, quotient, if you will, for uh, or grade that you give yourself for handling money, that's up to you. It's not up to me. It's not up to anybody else. If you're satisfied, then it's probably fine. But um, the more you apply those biblical principles and the more you apply some of the things that I have to tell you tonight, it's, it's going to help you bring up that success level. Uh, and like I just mentioned, uh, the most important thing is to apply biblical principles. Absolutely, far and above anything else I'm going to tell you tonight, apply the biblical principles because they always work. They never fail. I can, I'm going to be promoting people like Dave Ramsey tonight. That's fine. He does a good job, but he's a man, right? He didn't write the Bible. He didn't form the worlds. He didn't save your soul. He didn't do any of those things, but God did, or God is, right? He is doing all those things. He's delving out blessings far beyond what Dave Ramsey is ever going to be able to do. So, so always, always remember biblical principles when it, when it comes to your finances. Uh, next, I would tell you uh, that a very important thing is a disciplined approach to managing your finances. We all need a disciplined approach to managing finances. Now, I'm going to go into a couple things about disciplined approach, about other things other than finances. Uh, do you take a disciplined approach regarding your job? Um, I was just recently told about an annual review that uh, someone had. The manager was explaining this to me. And the employee sat before him, and the manager uh, was going through things. And, you know, we talked about these goals that you set last year and, you know, uh, about all these things that you were going to do. And, you know, what have you done this year? You know, you know, how, you know tell me. You know, talk to me. I'd, I'd love to give you the, the biggest raise that I have available to, to give you. And the employee just sat there with his head down. He didn't know what to say because he hadn't done anything. Now, 
is that a disciplined approach to your job? What he did would would uh, what kind of a raise do you think he could expect? Zero. That's what he got too. He got zero. And uh, would you consider him successful? Mm, probably not. He might be successful in some things, but not in his manager's eyes. And that's kind of what's important in this case. And would, how about a promotion? He'd, he'd be first in line for a promotion, right? No, not at all. So he didn't really apply a disciplined approach. He didn't have a disciplined approach. He had a carefree approach, right? Here's kind of a funny one. Um, it actually has to do with my brother Tyrone. And Brother Crane, you might remember this. Uh, uh, if my brother Tyrone was here, he would chuckle along with us, I'm sure, because we made fun of him many times about this. But um, do you have a disciplined approach regarding maintenance on your car? So it, does that take a disciplined approach? Is that important? You know? Okay. So... Um, my brother worked for a company who, who they had leased vehicles that they would give the employee a car to use for whatever. And the lease would last up to 50,000 miles. It didn't matter how long it took. Maybe that took two years. Maybe it took a year and a half. Some of these guys drove a lot. And uh, 50,000 miles up, it's time to turn the car in and get a new one. Okay, so 50,000 miles up, it's time to turn the car in and uh, the company is trying to figure out how much is this car worth because the employee or employee's family members could buy this car from the company at a much reduced rate. Well, <laughs> um, 50,000 miles is up and, and the company is trying to figure out how much the car's worth and they're looking back at the expense reports that my brother had done and it's like, what have we turned in for expenses for repairs and, and maintenance on the car? What did you just say? Zero. Zero dollars. No oil changes. No oil changes in 50,000 miles. Well, my, my brother Harvey wanted to buy that car from Tyrone, and guess what? After he heard that, he wasn't so interested in that car anymore. So do you think that was a disciplined approach to handling car maintenance? You know, and some of these things obviously are more important than others. We, we can't have a disciplined approach to every blasted thing that we do, right? We don't, there's only 24 hours in a day. You can only pay very close attention to so many things, but you have to pick and choose the ones that are going to get your most attention. And maybe an oil change once in a while ain't such a bad idea, you know, but, but there again, uh, I like to say skin in the game. My brother had no skin in the game for the car. It didn't matter to him whether it was, you know, you know, if it blew up, he would have got a new one, you know. But, you know, there probably should have been some accountability there, and there, there wasn't. So, anyway. So, you need to understand, though, you know, a little caveat here. You need to understand that a disciplined approach to something, anything, does not necessarily guarantee you success, okay? But it's sure gonna give you a whole lot better chance at it. Because the things that you really pay attention to, they're gonna be something that is, is, is gonna work out for you because you've put 
your touch on it. You've asked for help. You've done what it takes to get it done right. Well, that's what we need to do about finances. That's the type of attitude that we need to take. So uh, remember that the expert in anything was only once a beginner. That's all they were. They were just a beginner. So you want to become an expert in something? You've got to apply yourself. You've got to take a disciplined approach, and you need to work at it. And, and just, you know, spend some time every week, you know, or whatever it takes to, you know, as you're working along, and, and it, it, it's, it's, it's going to help you. I understand things a lot better today than I did 20 or 40 years ago. Uh, that's why I got all these gray hairs, right? You know, I'm sure some of our elders can say the same thing. I mean, we, we've learned things a lot, and I'm going to be talking about the school of hard knocks here a little bit and kind of be a little bit open here about some of the mistakes that I've made, and I've definitely made some doozies. So try to help you understand what not to do in some cases, okay? So what does this look like for finances? What does taking a disciplined approach mean to handling your finances? I want to I leave you with five points tonight, okay? So point number one, I basically kind of laid that out. Exercise discipline in planning your financial goals. Um, without discipline, we're really dirt, uh, dead in the water when it comes to finances. If, if all we're going to do is take the paycheck and just start getting rid of it immediately and not make any plans, not do anything besides just spend it, we're, we're in for uh, a rude awakening and, and, and some trouble in the future. Um, just like the employee that didn't have discipline as far as his job was concerned, um, it, it's going to lead uh, to trouble. So I, w I would say, you know, make a plan and manage the plan, okay? Um, if you're married, this needs to be a joint effort with your spouse, okay? It absolutely is imperative that, that you work together. This is not one person's job uh, in, in the family, uh, in, in, a married, in a married household, okay? Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but follow Dave Ramsey's baby steps. Uh, buy the book, The Total Money Makeover. Listen to his podcasts. Keep doing this until your mindset becomes similar to his. Keep doing it. Repetitive things, are, it's, it's got this natural effect of sinking in and helping us. So the more you put those things into you, the more you're going to start thinking the way he thinks. And I'm not saying, again, that he's perfect, right? He's, there's some things I do not agree with when it comes to Dave Ramsey. But I will tell you there's a lot of good things that he does do, and the system of the baby steps really work. They've, they've helped a lot of people, uh, even people that I know, and uh, th this is, this is uh, very important. So, uh, I, I, again, I'm, I'm serious about this. Take, take, take that action. Um, listen to his podcast. Get on YouTube, whatever it takes. Uh, a lackadaisical attitude toward your finances is only going to result in disappointment. So that, that's, that's why I say it, it, this is so important. So Now, a lot of people have already asked me, and uh, I wanted to get out my prop. See, because I notice things when I'm sitting out there in the pew that people like Pastor Cox and Brother Kilman always have cool props, right? I mean to tell you, they always have cool props. So 
This is my Master Ricard. Did everybody catch that? Master Ricard. This, this is a Ricard vacuum cleaner, but it's my fat MasterCard. It's kind of the wrong color for a MasterCard, but that's okay. I didn't have any paint today. I just actually thought about this at the last minute, which sometimes happens. And, you know, I just had to have a cool, cool prop. So this is my cool prop for tonight. So number two on the list is while you're working through the baby steps, pay close attention to your debt. Um, there's very little more devastating in your financial future than carrying a huge amount of debt, okay? Debt is very expensive. Uh, and, and debt really has a controlling factor. And the controlling factor works something like this. <clears throat> so my credit card over here controls me. This is kind of my credit card umbilical cord, right? And my credit card gets connected to my billifold through the umbilical cord. So wherever I go, and I hope I don't rip my pants, this would be really embarrassing if I rip my pants, but wherever I go, my credit card follows me with my umbilical cord tied to it. And you know, sometimes I try to stretch things out too far, and I can't, I, then all of a sudden I'm limited as to what I can do, because the way I handle my finances is through my master Ricard over here, see? And, and all of a sudden I just can't, I can't go any farther. So I'm limited. I'm limited. A bad thing to do, be limited. God doesn't want you to be limited. He wants you to have total control, not, not master Ricard control. And, and you know, as, as this keeps sucking money out of my billifold, you notice how fat this guy is? This has got to be the fattest credit card you've ever seen. Absolutely the fattest credit card you've ever seen. This thing, I mean, the more I use it, the heavier it gets. And, and you know, I, I like to kind of swoosh it around all kinds of places. You know, I take it in places and I, and I swoosh it around. And it just brings me happiness. It just, I mean, I can do anything except for when I stretch it out too far. Then I get limited. I, I, can't, I can't do it anymore. Is that the way to do this? Wait a minute now. Plastic is power. This is plastic, and that's power, baby. Master Ricard has got lots of power, and it wants to empower you and, and they're spending billions of dollars to send that message to you. And, and, and uh, even all the way down to the teenagers, I don't know if you've got any in the mail yet, but you will be shortly once they get your name. And uh, they get your name and you're going to be getting, you get a job and whoa, credit card time, baby. This is the way this works. You know, today... The average American carries $6,194 today in credit card debt. That's the average American. You know, if, if the average American paid the minimum payment every month, that'd be $186, do you know how much that would cost them and how long it would take them to pay that off? 
just $6,100, $6,200. It would take them, uh, this is kind of how expensive debt is, right? It would take them 23 years and six months to pay it off. And that's not making another purchase. That's just taking the $6,194 and that's it. That's not making one more purchase. Uh, they would pay $16,466 for their $6,194 worth of purchases. That's $10,266 of penalty. It's called interest. That's, that's serious, folks. Debt is expensive. And the control part, the control part, these people control you when you operate this way. Because the, the borrower is servant to the lender. This guy tells you where you go and where you can't go, right? It, it, that's just the way it is. Whereas if you operate differently, like using the biblical principles and a plan, you get rid of this debt, you quit paying those interest or the, the, that interest to these banks and these credit card companies, and all of a sudden, that extra $10,000 is in your pocket. And now, I don't have limitations anymore right? I don't have the same limitations. I still have limitations, obviously. It's part of my budget, right? But it's not the same limitations that Master Ricard does, okay? <clears throat> so I'm painting the, the picture of the average American. You know, think of people that have like seven of those. You know that... Uh, to find this in my notes. Seventeen, actually, my next point, point number three. Establish an emergency fund and establish a budget, okay? Lumping those together. Did you know that 17% of households making at least $100,000 can't come up with $400 for an emergency? That's, that's true for today. Only 17%. You have an emergency and it costs $400. That's not even a lot of money today. What did you say the transmission costs? Like $1,200? I mean, and that was several years ago. Today that transmission's probably $2,500. And you can't get it for six months because... Supply chain problems. So, but, but you, know, for, you know, you're making 100 grand a year and you're so poorly managing your money, you're tied to this thing and, and you get a $400 emergency and 83 out of 100 can't, can't handle a $400 emergency and you're making 100 grand a year. That's a problem. That's a serious lack of discipline in financial management. So, uh, and, and, and plan the budget out. Uh, you've heard me talk about this before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. It, it, you know, if you plan the budget and you spend dollars on paper or on the computer or in your app before you spend them, uh, you spend them that way before you actually buy the items, that's a real plan, and, and that's, that's going to help you. Just tracking your finances will help. You might be surprised. If you do not track your finances, you might be surprised at what you spend on various things or what things are actually costing you. And, and really, as, as a steward of the great blessings God has given us, uh, 
you know, there's not a better way uh, to give an account to the Lord than, than you've made a budget, right? You, you've done the right things to, to put all that together. Number four, teach your kids about finances. This is your department. <laughs> and, and you guys as teenagers, you're, you're already ahead of the game. But even, even small kids, let's be teaching them when they're five, six, seven, eight years old. Uh, start early because guess what? The credit card companies, they have a target on their back. If they know they exist, they're going to go after them. And they're spending billions of dollars every year. Nobody spends more money on advertising than credit card companies, okay? Nobody. And I'm, I'm talking billions of dollars. So, so definitely start uh, uh, teaching your kids early. Don't assume they're learning this by osmosis from the schools. Um, that's not happening. Um, you know, don't assume that, you know, there was a lot of that went on when I was a kid. Our parents at that time just thought, you know, send them off to school, you know, they're learning everything. No, not hardly. In fact, we're learning a lot of things that we shouldn't be learning. Okay, we'll stop right there. Uh, <laughs> there's a book called Smart Money, Smart Kids by Dave Ramsey and Rachel Cruz. So if you need some help determining what to do, teaching your kids, smart money, smart kids, um, that will be a good one for a very small investment. You can help your kids learn about money. Uh, a couple of quick points about training them up on finances. Uh, kids need to learn to work because that's where the money comes from. If, if pretty much you don't work, you don't get paid, okay? That's, that's kind of the way it works. Um, and next, teach them about generosity. Um, that's extremely important. And, and I, I would say be an example of this. Be an example of this to your kids. Uh, it, because really, when they see the joy that that brings, not only to the people that you're being generous to or for, or the organizations or whatever it might be, um, they're going to see what joy it brings to you. And, and that's, that's a fact. And, uh, and this is also, I, I believe, strongly in this, it's going to carry through multiple generations. So, so, uh, so teach them generosity. Teach them to spend wisely under your direction. Um, help them to set up a little budget. Uh, set goals. You know, talk about sinking funds, right? The dream fund, whatever. Even as a kid, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, when they want to spend some money, get out the spending envelope, take some money out of there, and, and go buy some. You know, if they, they want to buy the $40 Lego set and they have $22, you know, they either need to get it from Grandpa <laughs> or they need to, you know, wait. And that, that's, but, you know, let's teach them to wait if we can. Don't, don't, don't let them go see Grandpa. It might... It's not going to be a teaching point at that point. <laughs> Grandpas forget about these things in a big hurry when it comes to this kind of stuff. It's amazing. We just have this thing, you know, like, I never had any of that kind of stuff when I was a kid. You know, we want them to have it. But they're not learning if, if we just give them everything, right? Okay. What an awesome way, again, to be accountable to God as part of our stewardship, teaching our kids. Uh, last thing about kids and finances, uh, teach them to save. Teach them about that, 
that sinking fund and you're dreaming about something, you want that Lego set or you want this and let's start saving up for that. So um, and explain to them why that's important to be a part of their plan. Okay, um, I'm, I'm on last point, number five, and this is my biggest one. I've got like three pages of information here. So I might be reading some of this to try to stay on task because if I get too far off, I'm going to be in Never Never Land and we're never going to get out of here. <clears throat> uh, number five is protect your assets, okay? Um, there's a lot of things to talk about here and, and just a ton of things. And I'm going to start out with insurance. You know, there's one thing I hate doing is looking, driving by these ivory towers with this insurance company, Prudential, and, you know, Piece of the Rock and all this kind of stuff, you know. <clears throat> these, these guys make a lot of money on, on um, premium or, you know, from your premiums and, and from commissions and so on. Uh, but there, it's just something that we can't live without. Just absolutely, you know, if you need, you, you know, every financial plan should include carrying the proper insurance for, for various things, okay? Things like your car, your home, or most importantly, you. And it, so if you have people who depend on you, depend on your income, you need to have life insurance. Now, it should be called death insurance, but that's too morbid. We can't go with death insurance, you know. You know, Grandpa's getting old. I sure hope he has insurance. Uh, no, we, we, you know, hope he has death insurance. Uh, no, it, it's called life insurance because we want people to think about life and not about death. But, but this is your biggest asset, and you need to do something to protect it, um, to carry your family in the event uh, of your death. Uh, so how much life insurance should you get? Well, that depends upon the, your personal situation in life and, and who depends on you and, and so on. For example, a family of four uh, or a family of six with four children in it, uh, depending on your income, uh, whether or not you own a home, it may require 10, 12, 15 times your annual income. Um, you can get by with less, but... but uh, it, it, it really, there's, there's a lot of, of variables there. Now, I, there's no one canned answer for that. Uh, you need to consult an insurance professional when, when, it, when it comes to that. Uh, one word of serious caution here, there are two primary types of life insurance. One is called cash value insurance, uh, otherwise known as whole life or universal life. Everybody heard of those? Okay. Uh, the other one is term insurance, okay? So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to explain the, the two different ones. Now, let me preface it by saying this. If, if someone ever tries to sell you cash value insurance, whole life insurance, or, or universal life, or something like that, variable life, sometimes it's called, um, get a hold of my phone number and call me immediately before you sign on the dotted line. I will talk you off the ledge. It won't take very long, okay? And you may not even have to do that after I explain how this works. <clears throat> but anyway, if that does happen, you know, get, get my phone number and, and, and call me. So the two types of insurance, I mentioned them. Uh, 
Term life insurance is just as its name. You, you pick a term, maybe it's 10 years, maybe it's 20 years, maybe it's 30 years, maybe it's 40 years, whatever that term is, you, you purchase uh, a, a life insurance policy for whatever value, let's say it's $250,000 for your, your, your family, it, it, it's on you. By the way, you should probably have something on your wife too, if, 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 if she's important. <laughs> That's aimed at Sister Cox. Somebody gave her the impression that she wasn't important when they were talking about life insurance one time. Um, she didn't take that very well, as you can about imagine. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I told you I need to stick to, to I gotta get the meddling. So, okay, so you, you, you pick a term and you, you, let's say you pick 20 years and the premium is $25 a month. Um, you probably get discounts if you pay annually. So whatever 25 times 12 is, you would pay, or maybe, maybe you might get it for $22 a month if you pay for a whole year, okay? Um, you know, so, so I'm, I'm trying to make this as simple as possible, but, but you pick the term, and the premium stays the same through the whole term. So if it's 20 years, the premium is the same for 20 years long. If it's 30 years, the premium is the same for 30 years long. Um, the younger you are, the cheaper the insurance is. And term life insurance is from 12 to 20 times less expensive than whole life. Okay, so it's extremely less expensive. Well, what's the difference? The difference is in whole life insurance, um, they, they have a rider on it. They, they basically have an investment built into it. But back to term insurance, I'm getting ahead of myself. Back to term insurance for a second. Um, if you pass away... Um, your beneficiaries would receive the check for $250,000. You would get the entire value of the, the insurance policy, $250,000, okay? If there's any questions on any of this, feel free to ask. Flip over to the other side to whole life insurance, universal life. Um, this insurance, uh, again, it, it, it has two parts to it. It has term insurance built into it, and it also has... Um, the investment portion. Now, the investment portion is a horrible investment. It's absolutely, it's even worse today than ever because interest rates are so low. Um, in fact, you would be much better off putting your money, this is the, your investment tip for the night. So if you have a pen and a piece of paper, you might want to write this down. <clears throat> Especially the younger you are, this is very important. <clears throat> okay, index mutual funds. Okay, I'm going to show you uh, uh, here in a moment, not right now, but I'm going to show you in a moment uh, what index mutual funds will do for you. Um, depending upon your age, a good share of your investment should be placed in index mutual funds. Uh, this is a mutual fund that follows a major index. Now, what's a major index? Like the Dow Jones Industrials, okay? Everybody heard of that? S&P 500, the NASDAQ. Uh, these types of things, um, that's what it follows, okay? So if the NASDAQ, or, or if you've got one that follows the S&P 500 and the S&P 500 goes down, it's going to go down, okay? If it goes up, it's going to go up. Now, what's cool about this is, is uh, what I'm talking about in this type of investment is a long-term investment. I'm talking about five years or more, okay? Okay. Um, not necessarily, you know, you're putting money away from an emergency fund. You don't put that in an index mutual fund, 
right? Because you, you want that to grow over time. All right, so, so what's the performance of this over the last, like, let's say 40 years? Well, you take from 1980 to 1990, the stock market rose 70%. Okay, you think you would have done pretty good with some money between 1980 and 1990? From 1990 to 2000, it went up 75%. From 2000 to 2010, uh-oh, not so good. 2008 was a horrible year. Um, 12% is all that made, so it was a little over a percent a year. Um, between 2010 and 2020, it went up 61%. Uh, again, uh, individual years doesn't always perform very well, but overall, in a long term, um, it does extremely well. Uh, 2008 went down 40%, but again, this is a long-term strategy. So I've got a slide here that you're going to have a hard time seeing. So, Brother Brom, if you'd put that up there. Um, this is a stock market calculator. And on the left, oh, thank you. That helps a lot. On the left, it gives you the investment amount, or amount invested. So let's say we put $100 away in 1980 in January. That's the start date. And we pulled it out in the end date of February 2021. So the end of last month, okay? We put $100 in, that's all we did, January of 80. We didn't put any more money in it as we went along. What happens to that $100? Uh, the final value is $6,241. Compounded per year interest is 10.61, uh, a total gain of 6,141%. You think that's a good idea? That's a good idea. So, uh, and, and what, what we're explaining here with this type of gain is the power of compound interest. And anybody know Albert Einstein? You heard of him? He, he's got a little quote up here for us. Compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it, earns it. He who doesn't, pays it. So you can go with Master Ricard and you can pay that kind of interest. Like, it was about the same percentage, you know, you know, it took 23 years or whatever. This was 41 years. What is it, you know, this is nasty what it, what it takes to, to pay for having Master Ricard going for you. And yet, you know, Albert got it figured out. He had some other things figured out, too. I can't remember what it was, but <clears throat> theory of relativity or something. Okay, that was the commercial on investment. Now we're going back to... Uh, life insurance, okay? Cash value life insurance. Remember, a lousy investment. You will never get anything like this from cash value life insurance. But the real kicker is that when you pass away, if you have a cash value life insurance policy, let's, let's say you paid into the cash value life insurance policy for 20 years and you've built up $84,000 in cash value and your insurance amount on the term side of the cash value insurance policy is $250,000. So what did I say, 84,000? Guess how much money your beneficiaries get? Is it the 250 plus the 84, or is it just the 250? It's just the 250. They keep the 84. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. This is, no insurance guy is going to tell you this. No insurance guy is going to tell you this. So I'm going to say it again, just, and I'm going to read it so 
It's, it's a lot more plain, okay? Um, in the event of your death, the cash value insurance policy will only pay out the term value of the policy and zero dollars of the cash value policy. I have no idea why this is even legal for them to sell. I really don't. Because, I mean, they don't really tell you this is an investment and you, boy, you better take this out or you better cash this in before you die or, or we're going to keep it. You, you know, I bought two of these. Two of them, right? Paid for them for years until I learned this. And, you know, I did not walk to my insurance agent. I drove really fast. I'm surprised I didn't get a ticket. And, and I cashed that thing out or those things out. And the cash value that I'd built up was in the thousands, right? It paid for my term insurance for many years. In fact, it might still be paying for some of my term insurance. So, I, again, if you don't understand this, you need more explanation, be more than happy. Just like Pastor Cox said, I'd be more than happy to, to explain this. Um, but you do need to protect your assets, um, so, so definitely get some, uh, get some insurance. Okay, uh, next point I want to make in, in this category of protect your assets is make out a will. It's very important for you to make out a will. And I'm going to read uh, what the state of Minnesota has for laws regarding a will, okay? So you can understand how easy it is in the state of Minnesota to have a will. So the following rules apply uh, to wills, and this is straight off the Attorney General's website. You must be at least 18 years old and of sound mind to make a will. Now, I know that, you know, cancels a few people in this room. So, so you probably should have already had that done. Uh, it, it, the will must be in writing. The will must be signed by you, by another person at your discretion, in your presence, or by your conservator pursuant to a court order. That's lawyer jargon for the court ordered this person to sign for you. Okay? Put it simple. Uh, the will must be witnessed by at least two people, both who must also sign. And lastly, uh, you must intend for this document to operate as a will. Now, here's the caveat. Nothing in the law, according to the state of Minnesota, says a will must be made by an attorney. Nothing. Nothing. Everybody say nothing. Nothing. Okay, so got that straightened out. Uh, this is a misconception misunderstood by a lot of people. Uh, honestly, I tell people this, uh, a will written on a napkin containing the things that I just mentioned is perfectly legal in the state of Minnesota and it would hold up in a court of law. Now, could it be challenged? Absolutely. Any will can be challenged. A will written by the most expensive lawyer in the country can be challenged. Just get a, another expensive lawyer and you can challenge anything. But it, it, it will be recognized as a legal document in the state of Minnesota. How else can I protect my assets? Be careful where you put your social security number and your bank account numbers. Um, there's a lot of money floating around right now with, with stimulus money, right? People want your money. There's people wanting to rip you off up one side and down the other. They seriously want your money. So you need to be very careful um, where you put that. Uh, use the adage, phone a friend. 
There's nothing short of a family member or yourself being on your deathbed that requires an answer right now. You can tell them, I'll get back to you. Research them. Do whatever you need to do to find out, is this a sound judgment that I'm making, or is it spur of the moment, knee-jerk type of thing? Be very careful uh, how you handle that. Assume, assume that they're going to try to rip you off, because they probably are. Okay? Um, I'm going to give you an example of one that was left on my voicemail a while back. So, Brother Brahm, if you could play that for us, please. The reason you have received this phone call from our department is to inform you that there's a legal enforcement actions filed on your social security number for fraudulent activities. So when you get this message, kindly call back at the earliest possible on our number before we begin with the legal proceedings. That is, two, one... Eight, kind of threatening, three, aren't they? Two, Legal proceedings is against my social security number. So what's wrong with this? Is there anything wrong with this? Robotic voice, right? That's that's first first thing. And number two, I want to make sure everybody understands this. The Social Security Administration never, everybody say never. Everybody say never. Never, never calls you. They never call you. They will email you sometimes. Most of the time they use the U.S. mail. This is a snail operation. They do not operate quickly. But they will, they will tell you things, but they do not operate quickly. And they sure don't want you to call them and, oh, can we make sure we understand what your Social Security number is? No, do not call these people. I reported these guys because, because I, I wanted, you know, this was a, a local number. It was a 612 number. I, I, I try to eliminate other people from getting ripped off. I did. I, I got on the Social Security Administration uh, website, and I, I reported it. I even uploaded the message and everything. Okay, next tip on, on protecting your assets and being a good steward. Um, when you need to hire a contractor, do it very carefully, okay? Um, there's a lot of people that travel from state to state, and they want to rip you off. They, they really do. You know, if a hailstorm comes through, they're going to come in and, and oh, yeah, you know. Um, honestly, you've heard about this stuff. Be very careful. Go by word of mouth. Who, who does this kind of work? Um, you know, who, who's good at it? Who's fair priced? This type of thing. You know, use your friends. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's one of the powers of social media, people. You know, get, use, you know, employ your friends in helping you uh, figure out uh, what, what the right thing to do here is. Re reach out to people. Who, who's going to give you uh, some good, honest work? And, and I'll, I'll be real honest with you. I, I received a phone call recently where uh, uh, someone told me about a problem they're having with their contractor and how they didn't think things were being done right, and they were asking me questions, and we had a long conversation. By the time we got all done, they realized they needed to go back to the contractor and, and prove out some things. Is, how is this being done? How is that being done? They found out it was being done wrong. It was not being done correctly, and so they, they, they insisted to, to the contractor, you have to get the right people in to do this work. And, and um, so they did that. And the contractor did step back. I mean, they could, they could get sued for things like this. So, and, and the people that were doing the work could end up uh, not necessarily in jail, but they could get fined. 
Okay, last tip on, on uh, protecting your assets, and then I'm going to close. <clears throat> Stay away from timeshares. Okay, this is another one. Oh, man, I bought two of them. <laughs> I bought two of them. I mean, <laughs> Brenda's laughing. She helped me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't even remember... It was like at least $20,000, okay? Have you, do you know what it's like burning $100 bills? Anybody know what it's like to burn $100? I burned a lot of them on, on two timeshares. I burned a lot of them, okay? So never, ever buy a timeshare. Another one, if anybody's trying to sell you a timeshare, get my phone number, because I will be glad to explain to you all the, the, the ways that they're deceiving you, and, and I will give you graphic details of why you do not want to do this, okay? So uh, give me a call, day or night, I don't care. Uh, I'll talk you off the ledge. And uh, okay, so those are the five points. I'm, I'm almost at an hour. I, I did not want to do this, but I was trying to cover as much of this as I possibly can in one lesson. So I'd like to close, and I hope, oh boy. Uh, the Lord's going to have to help me here. Do you pray for me? Um, I'd like to close on, a, on a, uh, a story about a time that I was at Arby's. And this goes hand in hand with what Pastor Cox taught on last week, uh, being merciful with your money. And so if I cry like a baby up here, it's going to be just like I was in Arby's, okay? So it won't be any different, all right? Okay, so I'm, I'm in Arby's. I'm standing in line. And you know, you got the, the zigzag thing. You're standing in line, right? So I'm standing in line, and I got my phone out, and I'm pecking out emails as quick as I can. And about four people in front of me is grandma and probably about three kids. And they are naughty kids. Oh my goodness, they were naughty kids. And that was, that was the first thing that I noticed, you know, grandma and naughty kids. And, and so I'm trying to concentrate on my emails and I'm pecking out emails and we're moving up in the line. So he finally gets to the front of the line and uh, lo and behold, she places her order and she hands the coupons across, right? The coupons are expired. And I sit there, I stand there, pecking on my emails while God is prompting me to do something. And I didn't do anything. I waited, I, they were arguing over the coupons, and I didn't do anything. I watched them walk out, and I still didn't do anything. I get up to the front, I order my order, I sit down, and God's just weighing on me so hard, and I'm, I'm just in pain. I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm being honest, I'm crying, and I can't really even eat my lunch. And people are looking at me like, man, what's wrong with that guy, you know? And, it, and it's because God's just weighing on me that I just messed up big time. And I'll tell you, talk about a lesson learned about being merciful with your money. And I'll tell you what, I will never, ever make that mistake again. God just prompted me and other times, and, and I have, the way he puts it to me, do not withhold your hand. Do not withhold. And so that's what I have done. I tried to do, especially since that instance, that, that really weighed on me so heavily. 
And I know I, I'm sorry I went from like very serious stuff, they go from timeshares to this. I, I'm, I'm sorry about that, but I, I, I felt like God wanted me to say that because there's something very special about being merciful with your money. It, it, I, I can tell you it touches the heart of God and because it definitely touched my heart. So God bless you all. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.